0: This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Zhang Veili
1: becomes the first Chinese UFC champion. Khabib looks to remain undefeated in Abu Dhabi. Uzman versus Covington hits a snag. An update on BJ Penn and we're joined by Ariel Helwani, who discusses how a previous UFC event in Abu Dhabi put him on the map of the MMA media landscape. And UFC senior vice president of international and content, David Shaw, joins us to explain exactly why it's significant. For Zhang Veili to become the first Chinese champion in UFC history. Thanks to those listening online to the podcast. Or if you're listening on radio, TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa. We appreciate that as well. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever podcasts are found. And feel free to reach out to either of us on Twitter. At Bazooka Joe V. At Aaron Bronstetter. Joe. That's hey. crazy you had you picked Veiley and she I came know. through in forty two seconds
2: I stayed true to my kickboxing roots and her sanschoo style played out and she did she did amazing that forty two seconds of just blast. There was like, it.
1: it was like maybe 19 seconds into the fight where you could just see a look on her face where, let's, where it was like, you're not going to beat me in China. Yeah, <laughs> like it's yeah. just, it was this look that she had where she was like, okay, you want to play that game? Let's, let's go.
2: Yeah, it was, it was kind of refreshing to see her and how smiley and how positive she was. I love her little trying to speak English. I think it's just going to be great for the market. I think it's great for martial arts since she's come from a different side of the world of, of true martial artists, and I think it's just great for the sport in general.
1: But further than that, like I've always thought Tatiana Suarez was going to be the champion at Strawweight for a while because of her wrestling. Yep. But if you look at the clinch and the knees, like yeah, that's, that's a pretty good Shao. antidote to uh, the yep. takedowns. That's
2: what Xiao has. So Xiao is basically kickboxing where you can clinch up and you can use sweeps and throws and dumps. So it kind of helps her out with that um, style of fighting because a lot of takedowns that happen in MMA... Like Unless you're a really good wrestler, you sh- you shoot from the outside. You shoot really far, but a lot of Greco guys and a lot of uh, most MMA guys want to take you down from the clinch. So if you're strong in that clinch position, you can get an underhook. You can really stop a lot of good wrestlers there. So I think it's, it's going to be interesting um, to see how she does with Suarez because that's possibly the next matchup, you would think?
1: Maybe. I mean, there's a lot at play right now. So you've got Suarez, who apparently is recovering from an injury, so she's not going to be readily available on time. You've got Rose, who nobody really knows what's going on, but she wants to take more time off, uh, apparently. And then you've got Joanna versus Watterson, which might, you know. Yeah, Watterson winning could be cool, too. Either of them, yeah. Either of them winning, I think, is going to potentially determine who the next challenger is. So there's a lot going on right now in that division. But the other side of that is right now, uh, UFC 244 in New York looks like it's running into some issues. And if they call Zhang's number and say, maybe, you know, maybe we should have her fight maybe pull Joanna from that fight against Waterson have her fight Joanna it's a big polish population in new york it's a big stage for her and that's what november november so we'll see i mean it's kind think- of
2: wouldn't it be nice to keep her as a chinese champion for a
1: little bit and not rush her
2: kind of well, I mean, they have, sit into this
1: position. They need to fill cards, and yeah. they need champions. So, you know, I speak to Ariel a little bit later on the show, and we kind of go down the ladder of weight class to weight class, and there's not a whole lot there for them to do at MSG. And this is the second straight year where this has happened. If you remember last year, they did Cormier and Lewis about four weeks out. Yeah, they'd had, they just booked that fight with, what, four
2: weeks notice? Yeah. Yeah, they just needed to fill a spot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they did it. Uh, but it goes back to do we
1: need, you know, title fights to be the main events? Well, that's... 100% true. Like, I don't know if they're going to try to do Nate versus Masvidal at some point in time, but uh, Ariel Hawani just tweeted out that they might be going in the direction of making Usman versus Masvidal instead of Usman versus Covington. So I don't know yeah. what's going on with the talks, but it seems like the hiccup is on Covington's end. And uh, I talked to Ariel a little bit later on in the show, but when I speak to him, it was prior to this tweet coming out. So, you know, I'll pull the curtain back a little bit and yeah. let people know what's going on. So I, I think that Usman versus... Masvidal would be a lot of fun. Yeah, why not? I think anyone
2: with Masvidal is going to be fun regardless. But uh, I think we now, with the hype of Nate, we want to see him with Nate now. Like I, no, don't even I, want to, just... I don't even want to see him for a title yet. I think that Nate fight is just so intriguing for everybody that I think now we all want to go in that direction. So it kind of lets us
1: down a little bit. Well, Brett Okamoto was asked about Nate, or sorry, asked Dana about Nate Diaz recently. I guess yep. it was yesterday. And he said um, Nate hasn't fought in like, th- he hadn't fought for like three years before that. I don't know if he's going to fight again. Nate's not, Nate's not factored into our future plans, because I just don't know if he's going to sit out another yeah, three years. it makes sense. You can't. You really can't. He's on his own little agenda. He's not
2: one of those, what you call, a company guy. He does what he wants, but I mean, he gets the numbers right now, and I think you got to, you know, hit while it's hot. You know, put him against Masvidal, build him
1: up, and let's see from there. For sure. And I don't know what's happening with this Usman and Co- uh, Covington situation, but... Uh Certainly not looking uh, promising. And yeah. that fight you know, Covington losing another title shot due to politics or red tape is not a good look. Yeah. Is Especially there any since, rumors
2: you're hearing? Is it financial? Is there anything that's coming coming to the front? I mean, I would guess
1: it's financial. I think that, that would make the most sense. I mean but I, want to, I, think, I think his wording was that negotiations had hit a snag. Yeah. So if negotiations had hit a snag, you know, for me to read into that. That to me spells out dollars and cents, or or timing of the event. No, I don't think timing matters. I mean, Covington's had less of a layoff, obviously than Usman, but he wants this fight, and he's been talking about fighting Guzmán at MSG and and all of that. Yeah. So, we'll but see. I mean, aren't these guys
2: on contract? And isn't it set what they're making? And there's usually if you're in the, in the top five, you're getting some championship clause in there, where like if you win and you leave the title, you'll leave with an extra fifty thousand dollars. So I'm sure there's some language in the contract. Yeah, that's the confusing part about it. But uh, that's I'm, why I'm thinking is it date? But you're saying no, and
1: they they both seem set on on that time. So who knows what the hiccup could be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, this card right now is it's a very similar situation to last year at MSG where they just they waited and they you know were trying all kinds of different things. They kept not coming together, and then eventually they just kind of had to put the thing together quickly. Yeah. In, in your books, uh, in your mind, what happens? What should they do? Well. The thing that I had mentioned uh, off air to Ariel is, for some reason, I keep picturing Cormier versus Deep A three in my head. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I yeah, don't think that yeah. either of those guys are going to recover on time. But for whatever reason, I just think that that would be, a, you know, if you're, if you're going to pay some good money and get a really big fight in New York, maybe that Jones um, fighting uh, Jan Bojovic is a possibility. And Ariel mentioned uh, that on during this interview that I that we're going to play a little bit later on. But he raises a good point. Jones is from New York. Uh, there's a big Polish population that could support Bohovich mm-hmm. there. Um, when I've spoken to John Jones in the past, he said he's a little bit hesitant to fight New York because of the state income tax. Like that people mm-hmm. yeah, loses a lot, he of, he loses a lot don't of money. Want it. And whereas if he fights what is in it, Vegas, twenty percent New York? It's a big number. Yeah. yeah I don't remember you know, exactly. 20. But Vegas I don't believe has any yeah. and then he could fight That's there in not December. Fair.
2: I hated that too. I got taxed in a few of mine, especially my Japan with the big pay, you're like oh. It's, yeah. so, like, it's, it's so, it's just so like, sad. It's like you have to give it away. Yeah, it's so sad. I, I got my paycheck and I was like, uh, I think there's some numbers missing here. What's happening? Like, no, with the taxes. Oh, they is, tax it. Yeah. They, they, you right don't have away. To pay them back. They no, oh, right away. Wow. Right off the top. And mm. I'm like, this is criminal. I, I couldn't believe <laughs> what it. What was the tax rate there? I, I don't even. I think it was closer to 30%. 90%. <laughs> no, I think it was 30%. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Thirty percent, and I was just like, "Wow!" I'm like, "I think you guys forgot to send some money my way." <laughs> and they're like, "No, that's the they tax right away." I was like, "Man, I never want to fight here again." Yeah, That's brutal. Well, I don't want to give up that much money. But a lot of fighters brutal. think that way.
1: A lot of For fighters sure, look at they, they should venue. all
2: they should all be. Not thinking to mention that, that the New
1: York commission is a little bit weird. Like they do, they pull people from fights, and they, you yeah. know, it's a little bit. New York's always been a little tough. I yeah. fought there, and I mean,
2: there's great people, and I have a lot of great friends. But I think just in MMA in general, with you know, they didn't even allow elbows until recently, right? They've always just been. How long has it been since they allowed elbows? Two years only?
1: I don't know. Because elbows used to be illegal. Yeah, in, in I New guess. York. I think when the UFC came to New York, they had legalized them by then.
2: Yeah. No, I think the first one, I want to say it wasn't, it was Mm. weird. Interesting. Because I was uh, kickboxing there, and um, the problem was everyone wanted to do Muay Thai, and we couldn't. That's why I actually like New York, because I'm like, I'm a kickboxer. I don't (laughs) want to fight with elbows. So New York worked for me, and then when they changed it now, Friday Night Fights, who I I fought for, now it's Muay Thai and they do elbows and stuff. So I think it's still recent, like only a couple years.
1: For sure. That's interesting. And I mean, they've had a lot of hiccups since coming there. So. We'll see. I mean, think back to Khabib versus uh, uh, supposed to be Ferguson, then Holloway, (laughs) then Ayakinta. And they wouldn't let Felder take the fight for a title fight because Felder wasn't ranked and all this other stuff. So who
2: knows? All right. Well, let's move on from there then.
1: Yeah. Khabib this weekend, Dustin Poirier. I've been thinking about a lot of different things this week about what could be working against Khabib in this situation. Now, there's a ton of pressure on him. His dad's in his corner. Um, He's got to make the weight. Mm Mm-hmm. But further than that, it's hot there.
2: Yeah, I just heard you when you were doing yeah. your little TV interview. and like, You made an interesting point. You made me think about it, too. This
1: is a makeshift arena they're building. Like This isn't the world-class facility that's been around for a while. They're building it now. Like, yeah. As we speak, it's that's still being crazy. built, and they're still working on the facility. So if it's really hot in that building, you know, you think about a wrestling-based attack. That would exhaust somebody over five rounds, whereas... How I mean, people train in Thailand for their strike, it gets hot as hell there, and people go forever, yeah, right? Like, I mean, They're people kind of used to it, yeah.
2: Nah. I mean, I don't, I just think wherever you are, you're used to fighting in an arena. Whereas AC, I mean, there's right. hotter ones than, than others, but I mean, you can really feel it. I mean, when I fought, um, when we go to China. Um, it's so hot. I don't know what, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but the AC didn't work in the arena. It was brutal. You saw the fighters have to like cut their warm ups. You saw them breathing heavier. Like, it, it and the was air bad. quality there's not good either. Yeah, it was. At least bad. in Abu Dhabi, it's good air quality. Yeah, I man, it was bad. And you could really see the difference in, in the fighters with, with, with the hot arena. So I don't know. I, I hope they. hope they that point, a out take there. down
1: heavy attack in a hotter climate would be harder. Yeah.
2: But again, you know. Take uh, Takedown defense takes a lot of energy, too, and the way Khabib lays on you. And he's used to... It's always like um, a kickboxer trying to grapple. If I grapple, I'm exhausted in actually two minutes. I'm done. But if you're going to strike with me, two hours, no problem. <laughs> and it, it goes the other way. Like, you can be a marathon runner. You go to swim in the pool. You can maybe only do two minutes in the pool, even though you're an ultra-marathon runner.
1: But Poirier is also training with Covington every day, right? So Poirier is yeah. working on takedown defense But I still all the think time. that
2: the conditioning, the... Um, the efficiency in his wrestling, his ability to like maul people for that long—I think he would still have the advantage when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. But who knows? I just—I I, mean—I think a hot arena is just bad for everybody.
1: Yeah, it's definitely yeah, it's not a good bad. thing. I mean, for the commentary, I mean, who yeah, yeah, the whole it is bad for the people watching. watching. Yeah, everybody, it's terrible for everybody. And again, this is an arena that has not—I yeah. mean, they hosted the Chili Peppers That's the scary. other night. So I, I don't know. There's I haven't no seen hiccups. anything from that. But and uh, they're, they're calling
2: it sold out. What's sold out? What, what, how many I seats don't know. are in this?
1: I don't know. Again, it's being built on the fly, but I don't know how many tickets were released initially. Yeah. I'm sure they're building based on tickets, but it sold out pretty quickly from you what I understand. you got to think
2: it. at least 25,000
1: seats. Oh, no, I don't think so. I think probably Not more even. like 15. Okay. Yeah, but we'll see. It's an indoor arena, too. So even if it's outdoor, you're, at least you're getting a little bit of the air. But indoor, if, if, if it's indoor and the AC, is, there's any AC hiccups? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's
2: so funny. We'll see. Yeah, I was watching. Uh, I I got really absorbed in the the UFC vlogs for this one. Uh, I was watching. Even uh, Dana White has a yeah. Like a vlog I haven't had a chance to watch any of yes. Uh yeah, And it was pretty good. But like you see, guys like um, Matt Sarah just walking and he's drenching in sweat. Din Thomas is like just soaked. So
1: I mean, it's bad out there. I can't even imagine. It's bad. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I think that it's yeah. going to be interesting having it right in the middle of the day. I like the time. I think it's a good time to have these events for me. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think yeah. that having an off prime event during college football season is not ideal for the yeah. UFC. What, what do you think it's going to do to audience numbers? North America-wise, it might affect us? I don't really know. I don't know how much overlap there would be, right? like Not to mention that, you know, you get it on ESPN+, you can watch it on a mobile device while you're also watching the football games. You know, I, I don't know how much of that audience is going to overlap. Which will be interesting. And they're going to have the prelims on FX as opposed to ESPN because ESPN is so busy that day. So that's another thing to look out for is that it's not going to have the same kind of sports lead-in that it's used to having. That being said, I think that the numbers from the Middle East and and everything are going to be really big. Uh, It's airing on uh, public television in Russia to 150 million homes that can watch it for free. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I mean that's going to be a lot of at least visibility for the sport. I don't know where the money comes from, but and I mean Abu Dhabi's paying big money to have the event there. Yeah, so well, I you know I, I think that they're probably the viewership for them in North America. I think is kind of a, not something that they're super hung up on for this particular yeah, card. They're just excited that it's building.
2: It, it's it's huge. Like I can't. I just see too, and I've been now part of the fight scene in different capacities for so many years. But seeing the treatment those guys are getting out there, and especially Khabib, they're treating like it's it's incredible like i seeing like the the Dustin Poirier's hotel room with private pools Khabib's <laughs> having his own gym that's just for him that has octagon training mats and all recovery is it's incredible i can't believe the type of treatment that they're they're giving to these guys and even um i loved it when Dustin Poirier came off the plane they had like the ceremonial dancing and and it's just it's just cool to see and i think it's just a an amazing experience to experience that and i think these guys are really in for like a one-in-a-lifetime experience fighting there.
1: I would agree with you. I think it's, it's pretty cool from that perspective. So let's hope that the facilities are up to snuff. I would hate for that to mar the event. Yeah, I, um, I can't see it, but let's, let's hope. I'm hopeful. We've got um, an update on BJ Penn. So if you checked out the uh, TSMMA show earlier in the week, uh, I released an exclusive interview with BJ Penn where he talked about pretty much everything, everything that's going on in his yeah, life. A long uh, one, too. It was yeah, 30 minutes. About thirty minutes, yeah. yeah. And uh it was great to talk to BJ and uh hear kind of what's going on. And I spoke to uh sorry, I didn't speak to anybody, but uh Brett Okamoto spoke to Dana White, and Dana White said that after seeing the videos of him on TMZ that he's not gonna fight in the UFC again. Yeah, that's what I heard. This troubles me a little bit, and I'll I'll explain why. And you know, a lot the the public consensus is that he shouldn't fight in the UFC again. He's lost seven in a row. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I think a lot of people would argue that he's not as competitive, obviously, as a lot of UFC fighters. And I think that's fair. That's a fair criticism. The fear that I have is that without the UFC and without having a fight to look forward to and without that being a part of his identity, that things tend to go south a little bit for BJ. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably something that Dana White struggles with a little bit when he's making this decision. Is like, for sure. H- how am I impacting this guy's life? Because he talked very openly about being in a custody battle when, when we talked. He talked about... um you know, that it was a misunderstanding, the thing that happened with him outside a bar or, or a concert or whatever. Um, and, you know, when you're BJ Penn and you're in Hawaii, people know who you are. Uh, you know, that's going to be something that always happens. And apparently a lot of fighters have people try to pick fights with them at, outside sure. of bars. And, uh, I see it in Vegas all the time. Yeah, and fighting's a big yeah. part of the culture in Hawaii. So, you know, I don't know exactly what's going on there, but I think that having him not have a fight coming up... Could have a very detrimental effect on his life. Yeah.
2: But again, is this Dana Wall? Uh, Dana White's Dana White's um, priority is it his thought to worry like that? I think at no, this I don't point, think so at all. He shouldn't. I mean, that's where BJ Penn has to kind of step up as a, an adult.
1: Yeah, that's why I say I have mixed feelings. I don't. I don't think that he, they should go ahead and book this fight necessarily, yeah. or keep the fight scheduled, or whatever. or Work really hard to make this happen in November. I just worry about him. You know, yeah. I, from talking to BJ, I know that it seems like a lot is going on in his life right now. Uh, and he needs that kind of to redirect his mind towards a different goal. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be very difficult for him. I think it's it, now. it's hard for every combat athlete. And
2: if it's actually CTE, which a lot of people are saying it is, um, all of these issues that are happening, the emotional control changes, I mean impulse that, control as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean that's all stuff that it's responsible for the sport, so it's kind of we are connected still to the UFC and to the fighting which makes it scary but I mean, we just, it can't be that way, you know? I mean, I still feel um, Dana gave him so much extra than he did even like a Chuck Liddell. Mm-hmm, like, for sure. I mean, even Chuck Liddell
1: got different treatment. Dana right off the bat said no, and it was no to Chuck Liddell. Yeah, and I don't know if it's because BJ's not getting knocked out. Like, he's not losing fights in really yeah. dramatically bad fashion, which I think would have, you know, stopped this train a year or two ago. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, th- I honestly think that's the reason why they're letting him continue. Is because Dana likes him. He's you know really really wants to fight. Yeah, it's been great for
2: the sport. It's been great for the sport. And again, yeah. we've we've said it many times. Just because someone isn't at the level of the UFC anymore, doesn't necessarily mean they shouldn't be there. And I think it's like if, if as long as you're matched appropriately, I think it's fine. I mean, I've I've been to so many events where I've seen amateurs put more exciting fights on than the actual pros, you know? So I don't think it. you necessarily have to be the top of the top to, to fight in the UFC. As long as they're evenly matched and both guys want to entertain, I think it's fine. But, I mean, I I, I wouldn't have to say—I think just the problems outside— is when you have to start get him help. I think the biggest thing you can do is as as a UFC is get him help, get him to see a therapist, get him to see what's going on, get him to brain scans, get him to doctors. Those are the things that we have to start doing. And That's I outright asked him, I, you
1: know, I outright asked him, should we be concerned about you? Is there a reason to be concerned about BJ Penn? And he said, no, I don't think so. Well, but he doesn't think so that uh, he should know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that he needs to get good people around him that are going to be able yeah. to help him out and make sure that his life gets um, a little bit. Um, more under control, That's but again, the, the the situation that happened bothers me a little bit too because it's
2: he in this situation, the way the videos were re- released, it was him getting knocked out, separate than him being on top and punching the the, 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 the drunk guy, but I mean, it's still. This guy was harassing him. He was bothering him. They are both, according to BJ, was out having fun with his friends, and he. this guy is always around him trying to assault him. Then he punches him, and then at some point, BJ Penn's like, screw this guy. He just knocked me down. His probably fight instinct came into play, and then he reacted. But that guy kind of deserved what he got from all of the situation. So it's kind of like BJ almost defending himself. Was it appropriate? No. Could he have maybe, you know, they always say in the in, in, uh, – I don't know if it's true or not, but as a martial artist, if the police look at you, they say, hey, you're a martial artist. You're BJ Penn. You should be able to control the situation better. Maybe putting him in a rear naked choke and holding him or or something could have been better. But at the end of the day, it was kind of self-defense.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. But optically, from the UFC standpoint, it doesn't look good to have a fighter of yours get knocked down by some guy at a bar. For sure. I mean, there's a lot of of other things at play there. But, I mean, it's Um,
2: anything. Even... You know, you working here, you get into a bar fight like nobody wants. It's not doesn't look good on him as a person. But I mean, you can't really tell someone who's fought their whole life and who only knows one thing sometimes to, you know, you hit me. You
1: knocked me down. He was probably concussed when he re- retaliated. Who knows? Right. So let me back up the truck a little bit here. Which fighters have you seen get into altercations with fans in Vegas? You mentioned that like it was an afterthought. I'm curious about that. Oh, this no now. no no,
2: I've just I've seen it <laughs> like when I've gone to like a, like events and stuff like that, I always see people heckling and then trying to get into like arguments and stuff like so not out in stuff. public or anything. At the well, like in event. the middle of casinos. I'll oh, see people okay, heckling yeah, I mean. and yelling and then I see UFC fighters I've seen turn around and tell people to like screw off, <laughs> f off and it's t- it's tough though cuz you think like you're out enjoying a UFC with your friends, and then you're drunk, you're drinking, and then you see a fighter who is also out there drinking and having fun with his friends, and then you get heckled, so then they retaliate.
1: Yeah, well, that's, I guess, what comes with being a public figure. Yeah,
2: I mean, it could happen to anyone, but I it's tough. People shouldn't be, you know, that those types of people to pick on the athletes. And Just think, they're fighters. They're going to do that to you just because, you know, you can be a keyboard warrior behind the screen, but in person, it's different. I don't like it. Yeah. I <laughs> I agree. don't
1: like it. You'd rather people be keyboard warriors? Yeah, they And write, hurt, write hurtful <laughs> things than then actually try to confront you in yeah, person? Yeah, then because you're That's asking... That's the opposite. You're... The fighters are always like, you say that to my face. Yeah,
2: but then you're going to get the situation and then get in trouble and get all of this stuff of BJ Penn. We don't want that. So say it behind keyboards. We don't know where you are. We can't see you. We should be emotionally strong enough to ignore it. But when you're in our face and our, and our blood's pumping, yeah, you might get hit. It's frustrating don't do it (laughs) don't egg people on that's the first mistake yeah don't don't uh, rattle the cage don't poke the bear exactly (laughs) what do you want he's a fighter he's gonna react a little bit don't get in his face and knock him and drop him down and then expect him not to retaliate just because he's a you know a ufc fighter (laughs) so again i'm a little torn by this situation i think as a whole and his losses his knockouts his other problems that have been happening, that's the more alarming
1: thing. This actual one situation is just like the the straw on the camel's back. Well, I'll um I'll go back to what I was saying before, that uh, I spoke to Ariel Hawani earlier today, and um, we had a lot to talk about in terms of Abu Dhabi and why it holds a place of significance to him. So we're going to play that interview, and then we're going to come back, make our picks for UFC 242, break down the card a little bit, and uh, then speak to our final guest, David Shaw of the UFC. But uh, first, here's Ariel Hawani of ESPN.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest.
1: I'm joined now by Ariel Hawani. Now, when I heard that UFC 242 was in Abu Dhabi, you immediately came to mind because Abu Dhabi to you is basically the place where you got, got your launch, where your career really started to pick up. Am I right in that?
3: 100%. Um, and thank you for having me, Aaron, as always. Um, I view UFC 112 April 2010 in Abu Dhabi as a turning point in my career, dare I say, the TSN turning point. Remember that? <laughs> I Back like
1: it. it. still exists.
3: Oh, it does. Yes. Okay, there you go. Um, I always say that with my friends. By the way, the TSN turning point of the game. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it was just huge because there were only three North American journalists, including myself there, myself, Kevin Ioli of Yahoo, and Mike Straka. But Mike Straka was working. Remember, Mike Straka mm-hmm. he used to work for Fox News. He wasn't doing video there. He was doing something for, I believe, Fight Magazine. Kevin Ioli wasn't doing video. He was just writing for Yahoo. So I was the only video journalist there, believe it or not, from North America. Now you see pictures, um, you know, from Abu Dhabi for Media Day, and there's like tons of camera. There wasn't a lot of people there. It was, it was completely different. And we're talking nine years ago, not that long ago. Um, I had access to everyone, could talk to everyone. I, uh, I actually, like, went to their training rooms. I just, I remember, like, reaching out to Henzo and saying, could I go to your training room? He said yes. It was just a lot different than it is uh, now. And then, of course, what happened with Anderson Silva and the main event and the uh, you know, the aftermath and the post-fight press conference and how tense it was. I'll never forget sitting cage-side during the event next to Kevin Ioli and uh, we were talking about Twitter, because at the time it was fairly new. And I had 4,000 Twitter followers, because I, I remember he had around like 7,000 and change. I was like, wow, I can't believe having that many. And then by the end of Sunday, the next day, I had 7,000, because I decided to live-tweet the press conference, because the press conference wasn't being streamed. And so I live-tweeted everything, and it was just very dramatic. And then, of course, uh, Dana White gave me a post fight interview, and that was my first video to do over a million views, it just like shot up overnight, so yeah, it definitely felt like a turning point for me, and I'm a little nostalgic this week, seeing all the stuff out of there.
1: Before that, before that event, what else had you covered? Uh, have you covered a lot of events on-site or was that one of the first ones?
3: No, i had been covering on-site for around two years. Um, for the first year and a half or so, of my career UFC wouldn't credential me, so I would cover a lot of force, Affliction, Elite XC, IFL, those events. Um, and then UFC, so UFC 97, I was the first one that I was credentialed for as a media member, um, for versus.com and, uh, that's kind of where it started. But then when it, and then I was working for versus for a little bit, but then UFC 104 felt like a sort of other turning point in my career because that was the first one that I covered with Casey and Esther, my longtime partners in crime, videographer, and photographer for AOL Fan House. So starting with UFC 104 was where we started to go to every event and do like the, the coverage that you know, we, we became known for in many respects. So it had been at that point, as far as UFC events are concerned, a year, because 97 was in Montreal April of 2009, and this was April 2010. So as far as UFC events were concerned, it was a pretty much a year.
1: So I had somehow been credentialed for a UFC event before you? UFC 87 was the first one I was credentialed for, which is uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Brock Lesnar versus Heath Hip. Yep.
3: yep, George St. Pierre against uh, John Fitch. UFC 83, well, okay, so if you, want, if you want to go tit for tat, the first one I was <laughs> ever really credentialed for was the Tough 3 finale, because I was working for SpikeTV.com um, in production. And then Tough 5 finale I was credentialed because I was a blogger for Tough 5 um, for SpikeTV.com. Each week I did a recap um, and then UFC 83 I just went to in Montreal, but they wouldn't credential me, and then 97. So you sort of win, but big picture, I feel like I sort of win, because I was working in production before that.
1: I was supposed to be, I think, at 83, but I believe it was Passover was around that time. Well, Do you remember the date of 83?
3: Yep, it was uh, off the top of my head right now. I swear to God, I'm not looking this up. April nineteenth, two 2008, um, I believe, is UFC 83. I'm very weird.
0: You I remember everything. I-
3: yeah, and I remember watching it, at, I didn't go to the event, I went to all the other stuff. Like I I, I hung out at the hotel in downtown Montreal, I remember talking to John Chamberg, who is GSP's coach, Roger Huerta, um, but I didn't go to the event, I didn't even buy tickets to the event because it was one of the Passover Seder nights, I remember watching it after. Kenny Florian was the analyst, it was like the first time Rogan didn't go in years, so that was special. Um, and I felt bad that I wasn't there because it was the first event in Montreal. But, yeah, you're right. It was Passover.
1: I was in the I was there in the days leading up to it and then had to go home. <laughs> I had to go home oh, wow. before the event. You covered it? Yeah, it was with Gabe Marenzi. I was his producer at the time. And we did uh, live shows from Montreal where we had well, Kenny Florian was one of our guests there. Uh, John Jones is one of our guests there, Clay Guida.
3: Wow. And, by the way, I just looked it up, April 19, 2008. Look at you.
1: I can throw any UFC number at you, and you just know, you know, it it blows my mind. It's like how I was with baseball cards as a kid. I could tell you anybody's, like, the amount of home runs they hit the
3: previous season. Which is equally impressive. But basically from 65 to now, if you tell me, like, UFC 96 main event, I I could tell you the main event and maybe one or two other cards, certainly where it was from, where it was held. Um, Fight nights get a little funky, but, yeah, from UFC 65 to now, I'm pretty good at that. It would
1: be a terrible talent if it was if you didn't do what you did. If you you know, there are lots of people that remember all of these different sporting events that don't don't cover it, but they just remember it, which I think is yeah, yeah, somewhat of a I useless talent. But you you actually can reference the stuff on the spot, which is a great uh, card to I have in your back pocket.
3: Sometimes I saw I think it was a video of Mike Greenberg, of ESPN fame, who can name I think every World Series um, from like some date from like 1950 something to now, which is pretty cool. But yes, this is a very niche thing that. Sometimes, like right now, comes in handy.
1: Absolutely. Um, so walk us through that event. What was it like um, being down there? And, and I guess when did you realize that what you were doing was catching lightning in a bottle and, and really resonating with people?
3: Well, can I tell you the backstory? The backstory is actually pretty amazing. Like, I wasn't supposed to go. I was working for AOL Fan House, and uh, we didn't have that kind of budget to go to Abu Dhabi. And... Uh, Am I allowed to name other networks, other Canadian networks? Or it doesn't, what it doesn't exist
1: anymore. I used to work at said networks, so feel free.
3: Okay, so the score was uh, in business with the UFC, and they wanted to send the great uh, Sid Siccero, who's a Toronto media personality, Canadian media personality, go uh, to go cover that. Um, but he couldn't because it was the same time as the Final Four, and he chose to go to the Final Four. And we had like a content sharing deal with the score where like they would run some of my video interviews. And so they asked me, um, Brendan Fife asked me, who was running the score fighting series as well, asked me if I wanted to go to Abu Dhabi to uh, cover it for them. And there were no strings attached. They just wanted to have the content. But I was going there for AOL Fan House. And so the score. Um, you know, wanted to have a presence because I think they were just getting involved with UFC and were trying to see, like, what kind of... You know, they had that show with Morrow and all that stuff, so they were trying to see what kind of interest there was. So I went, and uh, Casey and Esther went with me, and uh, it was amazing going there because the hotel was just, like, phenomenal. I actually just did, like, a, a trip down memory lane about this. Like, we got there. We, le- we went from Toronto to Abu Dhabi. We got there, and uh, I went straight to to interview Henzo Gracie and some other people who were... Um, uh, competing on the card, like, that night as we landed. And it was just, you know, I'm in Abu Dhabi, I'm in the Middle East, I'm Jewish, like, what? I, like this is just a crazy, like, I never thought I'd be covering an event here. The next day, the next morning, Dana White held a media lunch with uh, the media, and only Ioli and I were there from North America. And at the time, the big story was, him trying to sign Fedor Emelianenko and there's a clip online of him saying that he's obsessed with this that he wants to get this done this is his number 1 goal and he was trying to get it done. The week prior, I was on a show called The Daily Line on Versus and I said that Fedor was the pound for pound king in MMA and uh Dana and I got into a public argument over this and they captured it and they posted it online and it became a whole thing, Dana White, Ariel Hawani arguing about the pound for pound rankings all that stuff. So this was my first time seeing him since and we joked about that, we did an interview, so that was somewhat unique. Then they took us to the arena that they were building, and they still weren't done. It was Wednesday, and they still weren't done uh, building the arena, so they were showing us how it was done, and Mark Ratner was there, and it was outdoors the first outdoor event in UFC history, so that was super unique. I remember the weigh-ins were being held at uh, a mall, and uh, Casey and I went around talking to people, asking them how interested they were in MMA, and that was super unique as well. And then, of course, the event itself was outdoors. You have all these dignitaries there. Each, um, like every group of three fighters had their own trailer outside. There was no locker room. It was just in the desert. And uh, they allowed us to go do post-fight interviews outside. Like if you type in Ariel Hawani, UFC 112 interview, Phil Davis, it's just like Phil Davis and I outside. And he's sweating, and it's super hot, it's super humid. The post-fight press conference was uh, in a tent, So that was super unique as well. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget going up to Dana after the press conference and asking him to do the interview when everyone was so mad at Anderson. He really didn't want to do the interview. He was very upset. And I remember him saying, I have a pain in my forehead right over here that I can't get rid of, and he's waiting for me outside. Um, and I'm going to go talk to him in my trailer about what the hell just happened because Anderson had just sort of spoiled their, their their big debut in the UAE. So all these things have have stuck with me. And as far as like resonating, you know, I think it started a little bit before that, but just because I was doing video interviews and no one else was really doing them, um, there was a time at the you'll, you'll appreciate this like at the media workouts. Like, it would literally be a scrum of writers, and then everyone would move off to the side, and I would do a video interview, and there was no one else. And, of course, now that's totally different. So uh, the times have certainly changed. Um, And that event, just because, like, getting a million views was a really big deal, and I never touched anywhere close to a million views. It just felt like a turning point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a great story. And uh, I did know the scoreback story. I just didn't realize it. I didn't know if you were able to tell that part or not, but that's a pretty cool thing uh, as well.
3: Yeah. No, I've, I've told Sid multiple times... On the air, that without him, I don't know if I get that turning point. You know, it maybe came, it would come at a later date, but I was very appreciative of that. Um, you know, it was it was huge that he he batted out. I remember going to, I mean, that whole week was just crazy. I remember going to Morrow's house the night before I left his apartment, and we watched Butler Duke in the national championship when Gordon Hayward. Took a shot from half court and almost banked it in at the buzzer. And I was sitting there watching it with Moro Ronaldo. It was just, the whole thing was wild. It was also, by the way, in the midst of a crazy three week stretch where I went from um, New York to uh, Abu Dhabi, well, to Toronto for a little bit, then Abu Dhabi, back to Toronto, Toronto to Nashville to watch um, Strike Force Nashville, where they had the brawl, the Diaz brothers and Mayhem Miller, to Sacramento. For the WC48 pay-per-view, Aldo Faber. In three weeks, I did those three events. So that was a crazy time.
1: That's pretty unbelievable. Um, I know you're not uh, on the ground right now, as you mentioned earlier, in Abu Dhabi, but ESPN does have people on the ground. What are you hearing about the event this week? And uh, what similarities do you think this one's going to have in terms of, you know, just facilities and whatnot uh, to the first one? Because I know that the arena is being built basically right now.
3: Yeah, yeah. you know, it doesn't feel... I mean, look, I'm not there, but it does the first one's always special, right? The first one's always a little bit different, um, so it doesn't have the same feeling to me, although this one is different in a completely different respect because it's Khabib Dermagomedov who is arguably the most famous Muslim athlete in the world. I think a lot of people would put him at number two right now behind Mosulav, uh Liverpool, um, but this is a big deal. Like This is a cultural experience for those people and to have him come there, he's very much tied to this deal of bringing Abu Dhabi, uh, UFC events to Abu Dhabi for the next five years. He had to be involved in the first event. It's huge. I mean, you look at the card, there's not a lot of fighters with ties to the Middle East. There's a lot of Muslim fighters from Russia, from Dagestan, um, and and neighboring regions, um, but it still feels like a massive deal. It still feels like a home game for them, uh, so to speak. I know that some journalists are a little bit disappointed that he hasn't been very accessible um, to the media. My partner... Chael Sonnen yesterday on Ariel the Bad Guy uh, predicted that Khabib would have trouble making weight. Whether or not that is related to that, I don't know. Um, I haven't talked to Khabib this week. Um, he didn't do any interviews today. He didn't work out yesterday. Some, you know, We've seen this. I, I, I can't chalk that up to a bad weight cut. George St. Pierre was notorious for this sort of thing. He never wanted to work out. Um, and I know some people are upset about that and the fans don't like that. But, you know it's kind of a byproduct of becoming uber famous and getting a ton of requests and demands, and it's fight week, and you just kind of want to focus. Uh, As far as the stadium, I do hear that, as you just said, it is still being built, so I'm really curious to see what it looks like. I know that this time it has a roof over it, whatever kind of roof that is. It's going to be interesting to see because the last event was in April, and uh, this event is in September, obviously, and this is the dead of summer. Like, I think it's... I think it's like the highs are like 48, 49 Celsius there, which is crazy. It will be taking place at night, but I'm curious to see how that affects the fighters as well. So it's always very interesting. It's the great unknown. It does feel like the sport has come a long way since 2010. I spoke to a journalist uh, yesterday who works in Abu Dhabi. His name is uh, Mohamed al Hosani, who's known as the Mohammed Rogan of the area, a color commentator. He told me it has come a very long way, and it's a lot more popular. It's sold out, all that stuff. So I'm curious. I'm, I'm really curious. I'm also curious. By the way, I, I hate to ramble here, but I'm curious um, about the, you know, the, the buzz and the, the pay-per-views and all that because it's happening in the afternoon during the start of college football, and that's always a tough, you know, that's always a tough thing, especially when you're trying to get Americans to buy pay-per-view.
1: For sure, and apparently this is tracking very well. But again, people need to retrain their brain that this is going to be happening in the middle of the day. Now I'm looking at the weather; it'll be about uh, 34 degrees Celsius, 94 Fahrenheit when the uh, the card, the main card, kicks off. But uh, wow. early, early on, I don't know what uh, what time they're going to be starting there. If it's like three o'clock, it's going to be 38, so it'll it'll be going down to 34.
3: 10:15 10, 10, a.m. Eastern, so that would be 6.15 um, in Abu Dhabi.
1: is when it's going to start. So it'll be, it says 36 degrees Celsius, 96 Fahrenheit, so
3: still very hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know why they don't, I know they do have stadiums there. I don't know why they always try to make these makeshift stadiums. Um, I know the Red Hot Chili Peppers played there yesterday, trying to make a really big deal about Abu Dhabi, so it does. It definitely feels like a big deal, and um, you know, coming off the Zhang Weili moment in China, it feels like you know, two really big cultural events for the UFC. I mean, this one is, is much different because Zhang wasn't really a big star going into that. Maybe the next time she goes back, it'll be a lot different. But just seeing Habib and how, how much he means to those people, um, I think it was a really smart move on their part to bring him to the Middle East in his next fight post-Connor. Because, you know, you can make the case that he'll never be more popular than he is right now. If something happens on Saturday, if he loses, he'll dip, of course. But right now, he's at his all-time high. So this makes a lot more sense, in my opinion, than having him fight, say, in Las Vegas.
1: UFC 244 in New York. you got Gastelman Till. you got Corey Anderson, Walker. Derek Lewis is on the card. But uh, right now, there really is no meet. You know, we don't have a main or announced co-main, and it's coming up in two months. This seems almost like a rerun of last year. Um, you, you mentioned today, you tweeted out, that uh, the fight between Covington and Usman has hit a snag. I don't know how much detail you're able to go into on that, but what have you been hearing?
3: Yeah, you know, it kind of feels like deja vu all over again, right? Um, Last year they had some trouble with this card. Um, They ended up with Derek Lewis versus Daniel Cormier for the heavyweight title, which they booked, you know, essentially a month before the event. There was a lot of uh, drama leading up to, you know, that you know, 229 came and went, and they were wondering what they were going to do. So yeah, uh, as as I reported a couple hours ago, um, Covington Usman has hit a snag. They're looking at other options right now. I know last week Dana White told the media that that was the fight, um, but it was not a done deal. It is not a done deal. Could they end up there? This thing, essentially since like late last week, has taken so many twists and turns where they've tried to make that fight, gone in different directions, tried to book a completely different fight, tried to book a different title fight um, for the main event, tried to book a completely different fight for the main event, like all kinds of different iterations. Right now, as we speak at uh, 1.32 p.m. Eastern. I'm sorry if I'm dating us, but there is nothing right now. Um, And and that one has definitely hit a snag. That particular fight has hit a snag. So I'm curious to see what they end up with um, if if they try to do Usman versus someone else, if they try to do a new fight altogether. uh, It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. They have a little bit of time, and everyone's focused on 242, obviously. Um, And like I said, they booked the last one a month out, but... I don't think MSG liked like that very much. You know, this is a big deal. Going to MSG is, in my opinion, just as big as International Fight Week, if not bigger. You really need to have your ducks in a row. And they're trying, but uh, they're hitting some road bumps here and there.
1: Well, what are some titles that could be defended there? I mean, that's the other issue. you got John Jones, who I think is kind of always reliable for them as long as the price is right. But uh, there aren't a whole lot of options right now, it would seem, in terms of the title pictures.
3: Yeah, I mean you could go down the line. Um, I don't think that uh, you know Stipe is going to fight this soon. Uh, John Jones is out there. I know that's something that they wanted, but John hasn't expressed a lot of interest in fighting at MSG. So I would kind of put him in the maybe category, not a definite no. Uh, he's definitely been someone talked about. Is Jan it's a big enough fight? I would say the Jan Jones thing is interesting. I don't know if it's big enough to carry a whole card. It's only because uh, there's a ton of Polish people who right. live in New yeah. York, and right? John's
1: from New York, but I know he doesn't yeah. want to pay the
3: state taxes. So there's a cure. It's, it's it's an interesting play, uh, but I don't think it could just be that fight. Um, and then you move on to middleweight. Middleweight is is obviously being defended in October. Welterweight, we just discussed. I don't think Habib is coming back that soon. I mean, maybe crazier things have happened if he wins in 10 seconds. But for now, I don't think it's we could really talk about that. Um, I think Max Holloway is likely going to fight in uh, Las Vegas. That's the plan, at least for now, December 14th. Cejudo isn't ready. He's the 135 and 125-pound champion. We know about Amanda Nunes, uh, who's fighting on December 14th. She's 145-135. Shevchenko, nothing really out there for her. And then, of course, Zhang Wei Lee fought. So, uh, yeah, you're right. There and she could
1: turn uh, it around. I mean, her fight was 40 seconds, but that's not going to headline MSG.
3: No. No, that's not going to headline MSG. And, uh, you know, I think they want to wait to see what happens with uh, Watterson and Jan Jacek on October 12th before booking that, and that wouldn't be enough time.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, so they don't have a whole lot of options in terms of the title picture, and this is another one of those issues with champ champs, where you've got Nunez and Cejudo lording over two divisions, and that basically uh, waters down your main event pool, so to speak.
3: Yeah, but I-, I will also say, like, all right, if Cejudo wasn't the 125 champ and if Nunez wasn't the 145 pound champ, I don't know if those champions, if there's anyone out there who's big enough to headline MSG... Look, they have a lot of options at 170 right now. Um, you know, I think Usman Covington is a fight that has to happen. But you know, you, you have—do you try to pay Jorge Masvidal? Do you try to pay Leon Edwards? Do you try to pay Nate Diaz? Like, you have options at 170 that I think are big, with or without a title attached. I think they wanted Covington Usman. I think that would be a really good fight for that region. Um, and of course, with all the Trump stuff, I mean, I just think it just all made sense. Uh, but once again, I don't know, it, it just feels like Kobe Covington and a title shot, for whatever reason, just can't seem to come together. Um, and I know he's very polarizing, and I know a lot of people don't like him, and he gives them reasons not to like them, no doubt about that. But you would like to see, like, Covington, Tony Ferguson, like, you want to see the guys who have earned title shots, you want to see that payoff, Because for the longest time, what were we always told? This isn't boxing, Right. But this is the kind of stuff that happens in boxing. You know, like, the the, 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 the the charm of the UFC in its heyday when it was coming up, I will say, was that they made the fights the fans wanted, always, and then some. But, like, you can't Doing this, And I'm not blaming the UFC, but like these are the politics that get involved. Are the fighters getting stingier? Are they getting tougher to deal with? Is the UFC getting stingier? Like, are, are the fighters smartening up? I don't know. But it does feel like these things where Tony Ferguson's not getting a title shot and Colby Cummington's not getting a title shot and this guy's sitting on the sidelines and that guy. This doesn't help the growth of the sport and certainly the perception of the sport, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think you're right on that. And uh, there have been circumstances, obviously, and they do need to book these fights. So I kind of get why they have to plug in the Darren Till, for example, or why they have to strip Tony Ferguson of the interim title when he gets injured, you know, at, what was it, seven days out of the fight. I get all of those things, and I get the politics behind that, but I do agree with you that people want to see Covington and, and Ferguson, for example, uh, that you mentioned, fight for the title. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what they're going to do for MSG. And I, feel, I felt the same way last year. When uh, they made the Cormier-Lewis fight, it kind of came out of left field, and I feel like they might need to pull another rabbit out of their hat here.
3: Yeah, I don't think the clock is like necessarily ticking like it was uh, last year, but yeah, I mean, again, this isn't some random fight. And, and you know, he, here's my thing about you know the way fights are booked. Uh, this is very much a WWE model where it's like, all right, we have these dates and we're going to plug in the holes. But as you know, WWE... You know, they could lay out their whole schedule and they got the same guys at their disposal. You know, like Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch and Brock Lesnar and all these people, like they're available in Wichita Saturday and they're available in Boston the following week and they're available in Philly the following week. The OC can't do that. So now what you're doing is you're almost like backdooring your way into these dates. And sometimes it works out perfect, Habib and Abu Dhabi, but then oftentimes it doesn't work out, and you're left scrambling and you're left trying to make these fights and last minute deals and you're you're left you're, you're left cutting your nose despite your face and you're left you know rooting another fight because you need to get this fight done a fight that's on the books you know for for the future that the fans are excited about that's not the way promotion should work in my opinion um, it's a tough spot you know you've got all these dates you've you 've got these dates that you're committed to your TV partners but historically, that's not the way fight promotion works.
1: All right, Ariel. Well, I appreciate you joining me. I'm glad that you got to share that story um, of the time you went to Abu Dhabi and why that means a lot to you, and especially the the behind-the-scenes of it, because I know that you have spoken at length about why Abu Dhabi is important to you, but it was good to kind of get the uh, nuts and bolts of it, so to speak, and I I appreciate you doing this.
3: No, no, thank you. I appreciate you having me. And, uh, look, uh, as it has been well-documented, Dana and I don't talk these days, but I will always be very appreciative for all the time that he's given me over the years, and especially that particular one, because I knew he did not want to do the interview, and he said yes, and was very gracious, and you know it ended up being one of my more famous uh, interviews, certainly, at the time. So it was just a very memorable trip, and um, it's definitely one that I will not forget. And those three weeks in particular, going from Abu Dhabi to Nashville to Sacramento, uh, that was a lot of fun. I uh, I really enjoyed that time. So it was nice to reminisce a bit about it.
1: Awesome. Well, enjoy the trip down memory lane this Saturday when uh, UFC 242 takes place. Thank you, Aaron. That was Ariel Hawani. Very interesting story from him about uh, how Abu Dhabi kind of put him on the map. He was sent there by the score of all places. Do you yeah. know Brendan Fife from the score fighting series? No, he, was, I don't he used know. to run the score fighting series. So he, he actually uh, had. You know, they wanted to send somebody to Abu Dhabi and Ariel was the only person doing video content yeah. out there. It's pretty unbelievable. I remember
2: he said he was happy he got like 3000 followers, yeah. extra followers and that a, a million time. hits on his interview with Dana yeah. that
1: day. Amazing.
2: So, you yeah. know, that's pretty Those cool to Those small moments that, story.
1: that make you you big and it's nice to see. Yeah, like, I like to call it an Adasanya moment. There an Adasanya freaking out moment. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All <laughs> that's right. It. So let's uh, talk about last week. We'll recap it. You had Zhong Wei plus yep. one fifty-five. I had a uh, parlay of two losing fighters. That's it. Jessica again and Andre Sukumtat. So uh, I am now here. I just I just tabulated it. Let me just pull it up. Here we go. I, uh, you have I think it's like one hundred and seventy-five dollars. Let's see. I hope you people are following You have one hundred and seventy-five seventy, and I've got ninety-five. Ooh. So I'm down now. I'm below even. Yep. So I've got to make a, a a big push.
2: That was my mistake last year, but I, I like yeah, it. Yeah, but Keep we're both playing those. to
1: win, right? Yeah, there you go. All what right.
2: happens when you're out of money, though? What are we going to do now? I don't know. Then you win.
1: If I right? run out of money, you win. All it's right. a default. There you go. I'll take the default. That being said, if we're... Not a default. That's a, that's a legit yeah, no, dominating yeah, that's win. I mean. You win by default. Yeah. Um, That being said, how many more events are there this year? I'd have to basically lose 10, 10 events in a row or something in order that's to get true. there. That's yeah. true. That's we'll true. <laughs> we'll see, it could happen. The way the way things are going right now, yeah, and, the, in... and with me shooting for the moon. Yeah. You're going to start doing bigger parlays, trying to catch up. Exactly. And that's the
2: start of the downfall.
1: All right. I'm going to make my pick. And um, as I alluded to a little bit earlier, I think that Dustin Poirier can hang with Khabib. I don't like if, if you're putting a gun to my head and saying, pick this fight, I'm taking Khabib Absolutely. 100 times out of 100. But at plus 360, that's those are pretty long odds. For a fighter of the caliber of Dustin Poirier, who's just really run the gauntlet. I mean, lo- let's look at the odds for Khabib's uh, previous fights. So you've got, he was minus 165 against McGregor. Mm-hmm. He was minus, about minus 875 against Al. Al, and that was Al getting the fight on this, like the same day, yeah. like one day's notice. Which is fair. Minus 260 against Barboza, which is like way lower than he is against Poirier. And uh, minus 370 against Michael Johnson, ended up being like minus 345 at close. So he's a bigger underdog against, uh, he's a bigger favorite against basically everybody aside from Ally Akinta than he is Poirier. And Poirier, I think, is like, he's up there in terms of the guys at 155 and how talent, like the talent level. So I'm going to take a stab at it at plus 360. I think it's worth a look. I think that um, there's a lot of pressure on Khabib going into this fight. Um, he has been talking about future matchups with Georges St-Pierre. Whenever you start hearing stuff like that, it always worries you a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So, Are you overthinking? Plus, I think that he can do something that a lot of fighters haven't been able to do with uh, Khabib. I mean, Connor's not a big volume guy. Barboza's not a big volume guy.
2: But I don't think you can throw volume
1: against Khabib. If you stuff his takedowns and he's tired, you can throw volume yeah. at him. You can oh, I mean, forward. later rounds for sure. Yeah. In the and first, I, don't think, few and I think rounds, it's going to be tough. Yeah, So... We'll see. I think that that is going to be... The more I've been thinking about it, the more I'm starting to lean in that direction as in terms of the odds yeah. as being a good pick. Like I visualize in my head to see this fight, I see
2: the first two rounds easily going for Khabib. I think he's going to be able to control the distance, I control know, the pace. I think it's those third, fourth, and fifth rounds where you'll see Dustin do something. I think you'll see Khabib in some trouble at some points, but I think he's going to be able to use his wrestling to save him. And he'll get a decision, but
1: mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's what I would think too. I think that if you are gonna, if you like Khabib in this fight, that's the side you want to be on is Khabib yeah. by decision. I think that's yeah. the one that makes the most sense. Yeah. Um, I don't
2: think you can. Fi- I don't know. You never know, but I don't. I don't see him finishing Poirier. Just knowing how tough and, and durable Poirier is, I think it would be tough to finish him. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, all right, what, what do you got? All right, I like. Uh, I know it's a rematch. Uh, I like. Edson Barboza against Felder. I like that that number, too. Yeah, I like it. Um, not, I thought he would have been a little bit more of a big favorite, but I know this fight, Paul Felder fought him. As, um, I think it was his third UFC fight. Now it's his 13th, so he's uh, become a, a veteran. He's become a... Uh, a commentator, which has made him a more intelligent fighter, and he's now training with Duke Rufus, which helps his striking. But I just think Barboza's got more of that explosiveness, that length that um, he can do some good work with. And I know Paul Felder's wrestling isn't going to be that big of a factor. So I'll go with, um, yeah, let's go with Edson Barboza. And I want to parlay it. I think. Oh, here we go. I'm thinking I'm stuck between, I like Andrea Lee. I think she's fun to watch. I think Joanne Calderwood is more of a, uh, a, a forward boxing pressure where Aunt, uh, Lee can kind of do a little bit more. So I think I'm going to parlay it with that.
1: All right, so Andrea Lee and Edson Barboza, that, yeah. that would pay plus 141. Yeah, I'm
2: okay so with it. We'll go with that. I like off too. Marabek?
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. Carlos Diego Fejeja, whenever he's, he's just an underdog, wild, seems to right? win. He's no, more no, no, wild... he's, no. I wouldn't call him wild. I think you're thinking of Michelle Pereira. Carl oh, Yes that's yeah. why I am thinking. Yeah. Yes, Carlos yes, Diego yes. I has, haven't uh, seen him since. Fighter.
2: We've been excited to see he's him. He's next weekend. Okay, good. Vancouver. Good. Yeah. yeah. I was I'm really big on watching him.
1: Yeah, he's uh, he's a lot of fun. I was thrilled to be cage side. I've never sit in the cage near the cage yeah, as yeah. I told you. I was cage side for that was the first fight since I have started covering the UFC that I've been sitting cage side for is Michelle Pereira's <laughs> yeah, debut. Yeah, what a fight right. to be cage side yeah, for. That's right. I'm I'm trying to get cage side for uh for Gagey versus Cerrone. I've requested a, a spot, at the, a seat at the table. Yeah, so to speak. you should. Yeah, you should. You got to live that moment, and that would be when? When's that one? When? Next, next weekend, right? Yeah, I thought it was weekend. two weeks, but yeah, no, next I'll week. be in uh, Vancouver one week from today. It will be media day. Be fun. One
2: week from today, you're in where? Sorry, Vancouver. Okay, I'm in. Um, I'm in. Ed, I'm in Calgary. Oh, nice. What are you doing there? I have a seminar. Oh, yeah, I'm I think doing you mentioned a seminar this, right. in Calgary. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm actually flying to Calgary. I was supposed to do a Calgar- uh, seminar in Calgary, but that got moved. So I'm there just to see Banff. I haven't seen. So Oh, so, uh, yeah. just, so I'm going to go flight? see Banff, and then I'm going to just drive. I'm going to rent a car with uh, my buddy Derek, and we're going to drive over to Edmonton and then uh, do the seminar there.
1: Oh, you had an Edmonton seminar. Cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah. All right. But I want to see Banff. I've been to Calgary three times, and I've never seen it. And I've seen pictures, and it's definitely
1: on my list. Cool. Cool. I like Edmonton a lot. Edmonton's a fun city. It's nice at this time of year.
2: Yeah, hopefully. I'm, ex-
1: I'm excited. So looking at the rest of this card, there are a lot of big favorites here. I mean, you got Zubaira Tuhugov who's uh, coming back facing a uh, I don't know if it's a short notice opponent. I just don't think they were able to get somebody to sign to fight him. In um, Larone Mur- Murphy, who's a newcomer to the uh, organization, you got Canadian Sarah Morris on the card. Yeah. Um, Bilal Muhammad, a big favorite against Takashi Sato. Curtis Blades minus five hundred yeah. against Shamil Abdurakhimov. I think that that line's probably about right. Yeah. Um, the, the parlay I was going to put together, uh, my other pick, aside from Poirier, was a, a parlay of Blades to Hugov and um, Bilal Muhammad, which I think is probably a more likely uh, outcome. It's just the Bilal Muhammad one is the one that gets me a little bit nervous for whatever reason. And, and Makashev, they're saying he's the next Khabib, right? Yeah, Makhachev when he came into the UFC, that's what they had kind of been saying is that he was like, you know, very similar to Khabib, similar wrestling style. Now, if he takes down Dav- Davi Hamosh, Hamosh really has really strong BJJ and I'm interested to see how that would play out if that if that takes place, but um that's not a great stylistic matchup for for Hamosh, but we'll see how that one plays out and uh this card isn't fantastic in terms of a pay-per-view when you look at name value and the co-main event and all that, but it's got a very, very good main event that I, I don't think anybody's going to miss this card uh, based on it not being that strong underneath the, the main event.
2: Is there, um, you always give me the one or two um, early prelim or prelim I should look out for?
1: Well, I think Muslim Salakov versus Nordin Taleb is one. Salakov is a, a big kung fu, is a competitive Striker kung based, fu. Striker I hope. Yeah, it's like he's a. Good. he was a competitive... I'm. I, I think it was Sanda or something along those lines. I'm gonna look him up. He was like, really, really decorated in that realm, and I just want to make sure that. And get, likes to stand up. Yeah, good, good, exactly. Strong, low kick. gonna stand. Yeah, this guy's yeah. gonna stand. Okay, I like. He, yeah, it. so he's he's won the Wushu Sanda King's Cup. He's like a, yeah. a, a, a superstar in China. I'm surprised they didn't put him on the card last week, but uh, yeah, so he's like the king of wushu basically He won the world title in 2007 2009 it's the
2: same style as uh zhang yeah yeah so that's going to be sanda.
1: interesting to see because i think that's going to be a mostly stand up fight and uh i uh, i think that's when you want to catch yeah, i, I think, think the russians are really good at um
2: the sanda the wushu sanda cuz it's almost like sambo where they can do the throws and tosses and mixed with
1: striking mm mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's so. from Dagestan as well, so I think he's got something of a wrestling background. I don't think he's going to use it in this particular fight. I'm just shocked he's an underdog at plus one hundred. I think that's a an interesting uh, price there. That might have been a, a better pick than uh, Poirier, but uh, you know what? I'm, I'm done yeah. already. I've already made my pick. What about uh, Zach Cummings? Zach Cummings, that's an interesting fight too. Um, Cummings has looked really good at one eighty five, and um, Akhmedov is a he's a good fighter that um, he's very well rounded, and I think that that could cause, cause some troubles for Cummings, but. And I also think that traveling overseas could be an issue. But um, and the audience, I think, is going to be overwhelmingly on Ahmedov's side. But that's a that's a close fight. I don't know exactly who I would pick in that fight. I'd have to go and look back at some some of Ahmedov's previous fights just to remember exactly what he brings to the table. But Cummings was really good in his last outing against uh, Trevin Giles on that Rochester card. So uh, and yeah, is, there, a, is there is there do we too?
2: have any athletes? Because um, I know a lot of the complaints were with this card was they're they're mostly Russian athletes on the card.
1: There are a lot of yeah. There are a lot of like Muslim uh, ath- athletes from the Baltics. As a result of that, there aren't that many Middle Eastern fighters, yeah. but there aren't that many in general in the UFC. Yeah, so. I was
2: going to say, is there any athletes I mean, or Bilal should they have brought is, in any um, up-and-coming talent
1: for it? Or uh, Bilal, I believe, was born in Palestine, so that's from the region, I guess. And he trains Ot- at Duke Otman Rufus, Azad-Attar. right? Sorry. He trains with
2: Duke Rufus. Bilal yeah, Muhammad, uh, yes right? yes, he does. Yeah,
1: and Ottman I- Az- Azaitar is. Um, he is from, I think, Egypt, but he's he's fought in the Middle East for years, so he's another guy that is going to be kind of familiar to the Middle Eastern audience if they were watching regional cards. I don't know who Fares Zayem is, but I would imagine that he might be a, a local fighter, because I think he's like a late replacement. I, I don't know much about him. Apparently, fought in glory.
2: Mm,
1: Maybe. Not with me. No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> really? No. Let me let me go look it up. Maybe I don't know. But he's from Bulgaria. He's from France. He I guess, maybe was on an undercard when I wasn't calling them. Maybe. Yeah. You can look him up, and uh, yeah, he's um, yeah. I think he fought in an undercard in in France, Glory okay. forty seven. Yeah. See, I was at that time. Todd and I weren't
2: calling the undercards. Okay. There you go. So as of the later times, now I call every single fight. He, but the early
1: first two fights, he probably was. Yeah. His face does look a he little familiar now. Mohammed Souane is that a guy you know? Uh, of Sunni. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. okay, yeah, he there did. You go. All right. I'm throwing some glory stuff that you don't there even you know. There you Look at that's that. That's it. Pat myself on the back. There you go. So uh, that's going to be a, a fun card this weekend. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, if Poirier does have what it takes. I mean, Poirier's been on such a roll. That doesn't mean that he's going to be able to beat a guy yeah. of the caliber of Khabib. I mean, Khabib's undefeated for me. it's reason. just a great story if he does get it. I mean, because he started, what, as
2: a featherweight? Kind yep. of went to the top, had a downfall, came back, made another rise in the lightweight division, came from a lot of struggle and... You know, it's just a, a good story of, uh, I mean, watching some of his stuff. He said he barely finished grade 9. And yeah, gives, just, gives money to
1: charity after yeah, all his just fights. Yeah, fight, an amazing guy, an amazing athlete.
2: Kit. Did the, the sport did amazing things for him. I think it's just a great story. If he wins, I think it's great for everyone. And I think... Um, not great for Khabib. Not great for Khabib. <laughs> <laughs> and, but for a lot fans. of people are saying it's great for Conor because that's probably the fight Conor would come back well, for, yeah, right? Yeah, I
1: mean, he's beaten Poirier before. Yeah. So, maybe that's something that would entice him. I mean, Ferguson's going to get the next shot, it looks like. Dana said yes. Regardless who wins? I think so. I think so. I think, you don't I think, think Conor, Connor with
2: his star power, will step in and be like, hey, let me jump in? Because <laughs> the Poirier fight is winnable for him, right? Yeah. The Poirier fight is winnable for him. Where Khabib, yeah. ah, I don't know. He's not. I don't think he's going to have a chance against yeah. Khabib,
1: you know? I think that uh, if Khabib loses, maybe they make Khabib versus Connor because it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. But I don't know if that's the fight that would... I, I would like to see Gaethje versus Conor. I think that's the fight to make. Yeah. Or Diaz versus Conor 3. It's just does Conor
2: want to take those names, or does he want to take the big, uh, the big names, well, that's right? That's what we got to find but out. But the thing is, too, it's still crazy that we always talk about Conor in every situation still, you know? Yeah. It's yeah, he's, still there. He won't go away. You know? He's
1: I mean, the omnipresent uh, yeah. force of the lightweight again, division.
2: I, saw, I was just listening to you do your TV segment there, and... And it was right away. They asked about Conor McGregor, so yeah. I was like, "All right, he's still in there."
1: Well, that's another thing for MSG, though. Is, you know, I don't know how Conor's hands doing, but if you need somebody to headline MSG, nice you try. can get him the right fight. Yeah. Yeah, you never know. Lots in the air. I would say the outlook is not
2: so good for that, but who knows? Yeah, I'm just curious now to see what's happening with those welterweights. Hopefully, we get some information soon with the kamaru and uh, if it's Masvidal or if it's
1: Covington. I cou- I wouldn't, I'd be so shocked if they pass over Covington again. I just don't understand. It'd be sad. But, it would be sad. It would be really disappointing. It would be, uh, be, really it disappointing, would be very disappointing. I agree with you. Yeah. What's this GSP? We've got a GSP in an ad right now. I didn't even realize uh, he was doing something like uh, along those lines. Some sort of uh, insurance ad. Nice, hey, making his money. Yeah. Good for GSP. Make that cheddar. That's it. All right. Let's go to the uh, vice president of international and in content, David Shaw, With Zhang Veili winning this past weekend, I was really curious as to the significance of it to that market. Like, what exactly does it mean? What kind of numbers are they pulling? And he's the guy to explain that to us, so he does so right now on the TSN MMA show. I'm joined now by the Senior Vice President of International and Content, David Shaw. Uh, David, big happening in the UFC this past weekend. The first Chinese champion. I think eventually people thought it could happen, but not this quickly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we sat down uh, a year ago and we started writing out the business plan with the Performance Institute coming up in Shanghai and uh, an increase in our output in in China, uh, our hope was that in four or five years, we could get a champion. And, you know, in, in the better part of, you know, nine to 12 months, it's it's happened. And so we're pretty thrilled. Um, also, when you look at the performance of several other of the Chinese-based athletes, including the Leech and including two of the athletes that have come out of the Shanghai Performance Institute, it was an incredible night for us and a huge result for our team that's based in Shanghai.
1: Absolutely. And the reason I really wanted to have you on today is, I don't know if people in North America or people in general can wrap their head around just how big this is for that market. And I was hoping that you could share some uh, information about what has happened since she's won the title and how it's resonated with that particular market.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as you'd expect, if, you know, for anyone watching any international sports or the Olympics, you know how fervent and supportive um, the general population is in China, and including the government. And, you know, we've seen some astronomical numbers in support of Zhang Li and her performance over the weekend. I mean, to, to give you a, a, a bit of a, an example, I mean, we've we, we had coverage, primetime coverage, including interviews on CCTV in China, which is the China Central Television network, which basically is accessible to more than a, a billion viewers in that country, she's front and center across a whole, you know, swath of, of print media, online media. I mean, this is this is everywhere um, across China, um, shattering records we've ever had on some of the social platforms like Weibo and Douyin and WeChat. Um, it's safe to say that this has been, uh, you know, a home run for us uh, and 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 Zhang in China. Um, and something that I think is going to pave the way to many more athletes being involved in the sport and many more viewers consuming mixed martial arts content uh, around the world.
1: Now, how many impressions did her finish, let's say, get in Asia?
0: Um, I don't have the, the impressions of the finish specifically, but we know that across our social platforms only, we're nearing 100 million video views, um, that's the UFC platforms across Weibu, Tutao, Douyin, and WeChat, um, which is, you know, better than we've we've ever done by a couple multiples um, in China for uh, for an Asian athlete or anyone else like Connor or Rhonda or John Jones.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is in terms of impressions and people viewing uh, her finish and her, any video surrounding Zhang, that must be an astronomical number.
0: Yeah, it's great. It's really exciting. I mean, we've, we've, you know we've got a pretty expansive team in Shanghai. Um, in the last few months, as the UFC Shanghai uh, Performance Institute in Shanghai opened, we moved several of our Asia-based um, employees who were situated in Singapore up to Shanghai. Um, we have invested really heavily with some of our partners, CCTV um, and uh, and and Shanghai Media Group, and some others in the region, um, in producing localized content, in creating an atmosphere for Um, and and location for several of our athletes and and aspiring mixed martial arts athletes to come in. Um, We've basically doubled the team, not including all the medical professionals and trainers that are staffed at the Performance Institute. Like We've made a real investment in the region, um, and the Shenzhen event this past weekend was was a great success and, and hopefully an indicator of what's to come.
1: So, in terms of CCTV and even this Abu Dhabi card, I believe, is being shown on, on Russian public television. Um, mm-hmm. How big is that for the UFC because of the amount of eyeballs that that could potentially reach?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you know, you're gonna have different content strategies uh, based on the regions and the kind of, you know, development cycle or development stage that our sport is at in those regions. Um, you referenced this weekend, I mean, we, we have launched our UFC TV channel with Media Telecom, Ross Telecom um, in Russia. But for this event, because of, of, the, of the Habib competing, uh, we went out and did a deal with Channel One, which is basically a free-to-air broadcaster that's in like 98% of homes or something across the country. So a pretty staggeringly large number, you know, it's like, well, it's one of those channels that if you've only got, you know, a TV screen with the, the bunny antennas that you can see the fight. And so for us, it's really important because, you know, there's a huge upside, I think, in both of these countries, both Russia and China. And to have such transcendent stars like Zhang and like Habib, you know, you're really connecting with people that probably haven't experienced our sport before, but maybe have heard of these athletes. So for this weekend coming up, it's a huge opportunity to get out to what will amount to be tens of millions of people across the country to see Habib compete, um, it's an opportunity that we've never had before and, uh, and something that we're excited about because we know that you know, given how entrenched and how intertwined mixed martial arts, wrestling, boxing is in the social fabric of you know Russia, for example, we just know that people are going to see it once and, and dive in and be fans for a long time.
1: So we know that Connor versus Khabib did four point three million or something along those lines in terms of pay-per-view buys um in the US. But in in terms of oh sorry, I'm thinking of Floyd and, and Connor. Uh Khabib and Connor did something two point four something along those lines. But um regardless of that, Khabib in Russia on that particular channel, do you guys have any sort of estimates? I know it's not a pay-per-view per se, it'll be on public television, but um that fight'll probably be at around eleven or twelve I guess 11 p.m. or 12 a.m. If I'm not mistaken, in Russia, how many eyeballs do you think will be on that?
0: Uh, it's tough to tell at this point. I mean, you know, we're we're definitely talking in the millions. We're, you know, hopefully, talking in the tens of millions. Um, but you're right. I mean, the opportunity for us is pretty, pretty unique with 242 being in Abu Dhabi and prime time locally. In that, this is the first time in a long time that we've had a pay per view event and one of our stars being able to compete in prime time in their home region. And that we know is going to produce, um, uh, you know, a result that is, you know, several multiples above. Where we'd be if this was in the U.S., for example, and, you know, Habib was, was throwing first punch at, say, three or four in the morning. So, big opportunity for us, and, and we've, we've really geared every aspect of the promotion in Russia. You know, launched our Russian YouTube channel. We are delivering a lot of, of live content. The Russia UFC TV linear channel was launched a few months ago you know all in preparation for uh... for this fight and what we believe to be several years of success um, in the country
1: and finally next week is the final event in canada for the years in vancouver so i uh, yeah. no, no canadian events for the rest of the year after that but are there some markets that you would have liked to get to this year that you're hoping to get to next year
0: yeah i mean we definitely it's been it's been a few years since we've been in quebec and so um, you know montreal is is always on the list Um, we'd like to get back there. We want to be in Toronto every couple of years. Um, We haven't been to Atlantic Canada in maybe a little over a year, so it might be time to get back there. So we're starting to to plan this out. We've kind of gone through a couple months of, you know, playing with this puzzle of which events should go where and on what platform and dealing with the different needs and, and desires of all the international regions. We're starting to see that schedule take place. Um, I'd love to be back in Montreal. I mean, it's it's a market that has meant so much to us in the early days prior to Ontario being legalized, and uh, we need to uh, do our best to make sure we're taking a, a quality card to all the fans that have supported us there for a long time.
1: Now, is the issue there that George is just a really high bar, like having to put a card on when they're used to having George St Pierre headlining cards? Obviously, he's not going to be headlining cards in the future. Is that a bit, you know, too high of a bar sometimes?
0: I mean, it, it is, but that's just that's just reality, right? Like we're we're never going to escape that, you know. Because who else are we going to bring in? I don't think even if we brought in someone like Connor or Habib, would we get the same level of you know reverence or support or fanaticism around the the athlete in Montreal as we did with George? I don't think so. But that's okay. I mean, you know, he gave us a great opportunity to continue to build the sport across Canada, and that's what we're focused on doing. Um, I think we've just got to be smart about putting on, you know, a a good card that's going to connect with the local audience. I mean, we're seeing a number of French-speaking athletes compete well in the UFC, whether they're, you know, kind of Parisian French or Quebecois French. Uh, We've also got a few Canadians that that keep moving up the ranks, and we'll see a few more of those next week in in Vancouver. So, um, listen, are we ever going to reach the heights as we did with George? Hopefully at some point, but it's going to take a lot of work given how profoundly – um, positive, he was on on uh, the Canadian MMA scene for us, so it's an opportunity that we're uh, we're we're welcome to uh, pursuing. Yeah,
1: that's certainly interesting. Thinking of uh, outside the box a little bit with perhaps a heavyweight title fight with Francis and again, it would make a lot of sense in Montreal because of the French-speaking, um, you know, the spent the French language, I guess.
0: It would be awesome. It would be awesome, and then you know, there's obviously a lot of ties too between uh, the guys at TKO and and several. Of the individuals that are building mixed martial arts in France, uh, with Fernand and, and everyone um, in, uh, in Francis's gym, uh, we've got um, we've got a couple new French fighters that are going to be competing in the next few months. Uh, one against Megan Anderson on uh, UFC 243 in Australia. So, uh, heading into this period where you know we believe we've put the building blocks in place for legislation to occur and legalization to occur January 1. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done, but uh, we're, we're heading down a path where we feel pretty confident about not only having an event uh, in French Canada next year, but having the first event in France next year, which is going to be um, a pretty monumental moment for us at the UFC, having been pushing for this for, uh, for the greater part of a decade.
1: All right, Dave, well, thank you for this. Uh, next week, I'll see you in Vancouver. Gaethje versus Cerrone. Everybody should be setting their PVRs now. Don't forget about it because you don't want to miss that one.
0: Oh, we're so excited. Yeah, can't wait to get back to Vancouver. Thanks for your time, Aaron. We'll talk to you soon.
1: That was David Shaw, the Senior Vice President of International and Content, joining us to discuss the incredible ascent of Zhang Li. I'm shocked, honestly, that China was able to produce a champion yeah. in such short time. If, if you think back three years ago... Like you could have just faded all the Chinese fighters. They were just losing almost every fight and now they've completely turned it around. You know, they've become a a really good market and have produced a lot of really high-level fighters that are really improving by massive margins in every fight. Yeah.
2: I don't know. It 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 surprises me that they weren't there weren't more champions earlier. Knowing their history of martial arts, you would think that they would have evolved a little bit more to it, but if their wrestling starts to catch up, I mean, we can get some really good fighters out of China.
1: Yeah, and a lot of them are coming to America to train as well and learn that facet of things. Yeah. So it's Especially
2: the Japanese. I find a lot of Japanese fighters are coming to America. And mm-hmm. it's just training at the bigger camps, the bigger teams, which is which is great. Well, that's a
1: market that seemingly has lost a lot of talent over the years yeah. in terms of in the UFC. Like, who's the biggest Japanese name they have in the yeah, UFC the right Japanese now? the right? Japanese totally fell out. Yeah.
2: Uh, we, at one point, we had Yushin Okami, mm-hmm. which was probably um, Sexyama there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's it. In the most recent times, were there just those two. But if you also think of early MMA.
1: You think of like Sakuraba. Oh, the, and things the original, that, yeah. like when they did exactly. the pro wrestling. Oh, actually, style. W- there's also um, Kaiji Horaguchi. Okay, yes, right now yes, might yes. be the best Japanese fighter. Yeah. Um,
2: and again, there, they tend to be smaller weight classes. Maybe you'll see more of them in one now. Yeah. Who knows. But, but the uh, Japanese surprising. market was always really good. For example, uh, Antonio Carvalho, he would go to he he fought in Shooto because all the smaller weight classes were in Japan. Mm-hmm. The UFC only had a 155 division. There was no 145, no 135. So a lot of the lighter guys had nowhere to fight. They
1: could go to WEC, or they so could fight overseas. So they go to WEC, or yeah. they
2: go to Japan. There was no and WEC in paid in like eight and eight. Yeah,
1: nothing. Yeah, and
2: then so. Japan was probably wasn't paying much either. But uh, to to that's Japan. all <laughs> the only option
1: you had. Yeah, you see your paycheck. And, like, like what, where you're missing a couple zeros here, yeah. Just like you said earlier, that's it. Like that income tax, which I didn't know about. Yeah, I'd can, love to go there though. That's on my bucket list. Yeah. I gotta go to Japan.
2: I fought there. That was my dream to fight there, but now I have to go as a as a tourist. Mm-hmm. Go in, go to the, all the the temples and the outskirts in Osaka, and all. I would just need to see it all. That's what I'm gonna do. I just love the culture, the people. It was just one of my best experiences. I need to go back. Yeah. To. When I turn 40, I'm going. That's yeah. what my wife
1: says me and some friends can go. So all I right. just need to make it just three more, two three and a half more years, more years Joe. Maybe she has it. a plan. Maybe there's. Yeah.
2: Yeah. She's not going to let you go that long. Who knows? Yeah. Um, my thing there, is, my, I'm so. I'm telling you, it's embarrassing for me to say it. I've never been to Thailand. It's not embarrassing to me. I've never been there either. I've never been to Thailand. But me, who's <laughs> yes, sport, my last, you know, f- how many years have I been doing kickboxing now? 15, 16 years of kickboxing? It hasn't even been an option. I've never been. I've never trained there. And everyone just assumes I've been multiple times. I've get, never get been. Get Pets to take you. I know. That's where I want to go. <laughs> I want to go with Petch and go with Sitichai. You know, yeah, I have I'm the Pinto Sidichai brothers. didn't get the
1: rematch. I saw. Uh,
2: no, they're putting. Um, it's kind of nice because the current champ, though, they fought four times. I know. Yeah, but that was a nobody close fight. wants to see five again. So we're like, they give should, it a break. Should, I mean, give it isn't one is he up, fight the up break. three to one on him though? Yeah, give it one fight break. <laughs> I think it's four one. I think it's actually five four fights. <laughs> I think it's four one. And it's just like... you got to give him
1: the rematch. Come on. He beat him four times. one fight off.
2: One fight off. I'm okay with one fight off. I'm okay with one, but the next one should be Siddichai. How's this challenger stack up against Gregorian? As a young kid. He's pretty good. Tajani Bastadi. He's one of our youngest we've ever signed. Mm -hmm.
1: He's tall. He's lean. He's fun to watch.
2: He's improved. He fought Siddichai and did really good using his length and movement. Um, I think the kid's got a good shot. Uh, I mean, I I like Tajani. I think he's just uh, one of my favorite young kids coming up. So I think it's just great for him to have another title shot. Gregorian's just a beast, though. I mean, it's just his pressure, the way he, he, he ring controls you and just beats you up. I think he's going to Johnny's in for a big fight, but there's a chance. But I, I like to break, Aaron. I don't want to call another—because it's the same kind of fight.
1: You know? How many of those fights have you called? Oh, I've
2: called—when uh, you get those southpaw left kickers, like I've called so many of talking no, fights. I'm talking, so about, many I'm of talking about those fights. two fighting each other. How many times have I called it? Yeah, I've, I've called all of them. You've called except all five, one. Okay. except one. Except one, because one happened in Kunlun. Okay. Yeah, but I've called all the other ones. I've <laughs> called it four times. i was like, that's enough now. Maybe they can that's just take enough. your take the recordings of you and it's Richard easy for me them to them call. Yeah, seriously, it's honestly the same fight every time. I mean, even I, I called their fight in China, and. Um, I thought Gregorian won, but everyone saw something different. It's just they're so close, you don't know. At the end of the fight, Todd's like, who do you think won? I'm like, I don't know. Who do you think (laughs) won? Todd's like, I don't know. It's that close. Every fight's almost exactly the same. So the break is good for me as a commentator.
1: All right. Well, I appreciate. I can appreciate that. There you go. Don't want to get bored. Yeah, never. All right. Well, uh, we'll hopefully be back next week. We're trying to sort out our calendars to see if we can make it work. Recap UFC 242. Talk about Vancouver and... Maybe we'll know a little bit more about what's going on for UFC 244. But until next time, bye for now.
0: Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.